0: So we're in John 16 tonight, we're going to finish chapter 16, we're going to go from verses 16 through 33, and a study I'm calling Joy in Jesus. And it is clear, Jesus does want us to have joy, and that's one of the major themes of the Bible. I mean, when you read the Bible, when you go through the Bible, especially in Psalms, you over and over and over see the theme of joy. As you read in the Old Testament, you see that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And Jesus continues to take that truth of joy in the believer's life and communicate it to his disciples on this last night before he goes away. And he tells us that the church age should be an age which is characterized by joy. Yes, it would be an age characterized by tribulation and, and trouble as, the, as we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the world, you know, as we talked about before, doesn't like the gospel, doesn't like Jesus. And so therefore, you know, they're not going to like us. But yet, despite that, we're going to have God's grace. We're going to have the power of the Spirit with us, in us, upon us, and with us. But also, we'll have the joy of the Lord as our strength. Jesus communicated that in John 15, 11. He said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Later, as we'll see next week in John 17, when Jesus prays to his Father, he says, But now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And then the Lord is going to take up this theme of joy again here at the end of chapter 16 and talk about joys and use the word joy, rejoice, be glad, be of good cheer. All these different terms. And so these are to characterize our Christian life. This is so opposite of what the world thinks of Christianity, right? They think of Christianity as a bummer, of a burden. They think, oh man, there's happiness in the world, but in, in Jesus, man, it's just, you know, you have to check your brains at the door and then, you know, leave all the fun behind. And then, you know, you're just kind of like in a monastery your whole life. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches about the Christian life. The Bible teaches that it's like a cup that's overflowing. We can have joy with the Lord. Now, Jesus is going to remind his disciples that, as I said on this last night, He's going to go to the cross and die, but he's going to rise again from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus would be the key to joy in these disciples' lives. And Jesus is going to promise them that here. He's just said, for a time you're going to have sorrow. For a time I'm going to go away and you're going to be sad, but you're going to see me again. And that day you'll rejoice. And no one's going to take your joy. We'll see that he says that in this passage. They're going to have joy because they're going to be friends with the Lord through the resurrection. They're going to be active in the will of God, and they're going to be victorious over the world. Look in verses 16 to 22. We see that through the resurrection of Jesus, we have a relationship with him as our friend. He says, while well, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will not and, and you will see me uh, because I go to my heart. Let me read that again here. <laughs> a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me because I go to the Father. So then, you, know, this, you know the disciples, they're going to have to chew on this verse, and it's even hard to read. Now, Jesus here is going to again bring up this issue of, of him leaving. He's talked about this a number of times so far. At the end of chapter 13, he told them that he was going to go away, and then he encouraged them by talking about those truths in chapter 14 on why their heart wasn't to be troubled. And then he prepared them at the beginning of chapter 16, the fact that he was going away, and then he says, but it's, a good, it's for a good reason. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to empower you. He's going to be with you. Now again, he gives this reminder, once again, that he was going to go away. But he says, but there's good news. I'm going to come back to you. You're going to see me again. And he's talking about the resurrection. So the Lord was preparing his disciples over and over and over in these passages. Now this is a good reminder not to be selective and the things that the Lord wants us to learn and hear from him. Now, just because, you know, a topical study or something, a topic, piques our interest, you know, um, doesn't necessarily mean that, the, you know, that's the only thing that we should focus on. Sometimes we have to focus on those topics that we don't want to really hear. And this is what we see here in this passage. You see, if you would ask the disciples, if you would have pulled them, said, what do you guys want to talk about? They would have said, our place reigning in the kingdom. But well, that's not what the Lord wanted to focus on. The Lord wanted to teach them about the spirit-filled life, you know, and the fact that he's leaving. He was going to establish His church on earth. So the Lord will speak to us uh, at times about things that we don't really want to hear, but we need to make sure that we heed them because they're always preparation for things to come. And so as you read through the Bible, maybe you're a person who reads through the Bible on the air, and sometimes you get to those places in the Bible where it's like, I'm not really excited about reading this right now. But, you know, but the Lord can use that passage in your life and he will use that passage in your life to prepare you for for things to come and so heed what the lord says to you you know sometimes on a sunday morning you know you might think okay this passage isn't really for me this is for somebody else well it is for you and we need to make sure that we heed it because the lord teaches us and prepares us to it now something else that we can see here in the way that jesus ministers is sometimes not everything that jesus says to us is clear and the reason why that is, is because Jesus wants us to ask him about it. You see, Jesus earlier in verse five told his disciples, but now I go away to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? So it appears that Jesus wanted to be conversational with his disciples about his word. Yes, Jesus could have launched into the whole New Testament here. He said, guys, let me just break it down for you right now. But he didn't do that. Rather, he began you know, talking to them about going away, and he really wanted his disciples to seek after him and say, Hey, Lord, so where are you going? So the Lord could conversate with them and, and get into a dialogue with them. I believe the Lord does the same thing here in verse 16. Jesus here was going to pique the disciples' interest so they can conversate with him and so he can reveal his truth to them. And Jesus wants to do the same thing with us through his word. Yeah, we're to memorize his word. We're to You know, study doctrine, but really the Lord wants to conversate with you about his word because the Lord wants to be friends. That's what he said. He he told his disciples earlier. He says, hey, guys, not only do I call you servants, but you're also my friends and the Lord wants to have a relationship. And so as we come to the word, yes, we need to heed those things that the Lord speaks to us. But also we need to know that the Lord wants us to draw us nearer and nearer to him. And the Lord wants to communicate that here to, this, you know, to his disciples. Verse 17. And some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. So the disciples are just like us. When the Lord gives us a complex truth that he wants us to conversate with him about. Rather than conversate with him, we seek others, right? Whether it be by commentary or worse, even some random thought, you know, some random place on, on the internet. And, um, you know, this is what really the disciples do here. The Lord here gives them this truth. Hey, guys, I'm, I'm leaving. Pretty soon you'll see me. And he wanted them to ask, okay, Lord, where are you going? So he can dialogue with them. Rather, they, they start talking about this among themselves. What do you think he means by that? This this was the first group conversational Bible study that people started asking, "Well, what do you think that means?" <laughs> you know, no, nobody knew what it meant, and, and and the Lord knew that. What's funny is I did this with the theme of joy, in in this passage. I started thinking about joy, and I think, "What does joy even really mean?" You know, and, and so I I began, you know, studying commentaries and looking on, online, and, and the Lord really pricked my heart here and says, "Hey, no." I've you know, I've given you this so you can seek me, so you can draw near to me and, and ask me how I will give you joy. And it really, if you look through the Bible, nowhere in the Bible specifically are we're given a clear, straightforward definition of joy. We're only told the result of joy, you know, because we have joy in the Lord, you know, because, you know the joy of the Lord is our strength. All these passages are in relationship to relationship, really. That's what they are. They're all relational. As we draw near to the Lord, he will give us joy. And we trust him for that. And as we draw near to him, he'll speak to us about it and, and give us this joy. And so, you know, that's what the Lord does here as he talks about his, his leaving them. The disciples had a, a discussion, but the Lord wanted to teach them more as they sought him. Verse 19. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, so he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me. And so Jesus, as the master teacher, has a sermon here concerning what his disciples were talking about. they were over there discussing it. And Jesus says, hey, guys, you want to ask me, don't you? Why don't you just ask me kind of thing? And the Lord is, is going to now teach them about um, what he's talking about. We need to make sure that we are, are not afraid to come to the Lord and ask him. Things. Sometimes he'll give us hard truths. He'll he'll put us in places where we don't really understand. And we think, well, I don't really want to talk to the Lord about this because I don't want him to think I'm not mature, right, or afraid. No, that's not why the Lord does it at all. The Lord wants us to seek him. We should ask the Lord what he means by these things in his word. We should ask the Lord if he's doing something in our life that we don't understand, we should ask him, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. Communicate to me more. You know, the Lord doesn't get irritated with us, but he wants to minister to us. And that's what he does here. Remember Abraham, the friend of God? In Genesis 18, verses 17 through 19, we're told concerning the Lord, he he said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. You see, Abraham was the friend of God, but also he had a specific mission and calling, just like you and I. And because Abraham was the friend of God, the Lord said, hey, I'm not going to hide from Abraham what I'm going to do. As he was there walking with these two angels towards Sodom and Gomorrah, most of you're familiar with the passage, there they go and they survey Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord begins to explain to Abraham what he was going to do. He say, I'm going to rain down fire. From, I'm, I'm, I'm going to judge these people. And then Abraham, the friend of God, responds to that. He says, Lord, shall you judge the righteous with the wicked? Often we think, man, God's going to get really mad at Abraham right now for saying that. But he didn't. That was on the heart of God as well. Of course, to spare the righteous. But because Abraham was a friend of God, he sought after God. He sought after you know what the Lord was saying in his word and they were able to conversate and the Lord was able to use him here. And it's the same thing for you and I. It's the same way with the Lord's disciples. It's the same way throughout scripture. The Lord wants us to reveal himself to us, but he wants us to conversate with him. If the Lord wanted to give us all knowledge, he could, but, but he doesn't, right? He, he continues to reveal things to us progressively as we walk with him so that we can stay dependent on him and speak to him and have this, you know, this relationship with him. Verse 20, most assured I say to you that you'll weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And so Jesus here explains the fact that he was going away as a time of sorrow. He says, yeah, guys, you are going to sorrow. I'm going to go away for a while. He's talking about the cross. He said, but you're going to have joy when, you know, as everyone sees me again in the resurrection. Now, the Lord here gives him a parable to illustrate this. And the illustration here is really one of the oldest and most common precious moments in life. It's the birth of a child. Jesus said, just as a woman temporarily feels, feels pain, right? Some people have those crazy long, like three-day births or, you know, or whatever. He said, but it's temporary. You know, and, and even so, me going away from you, you're going to sorrow. it's going to be temporary. But yet you'll have joy once again shortly. And even so, you know, women experience pain. I don't really know that pain as a man, but I've been through it three times with my wife. I've seen it personally. My wife always reminds me of that. You don't know. I, and I don't know. I can say that for, for sure. Um, but, you know, so, so the Lord says, hey, it's going to be temporary time. It's going to be temporary sorrow, but joy will come. And you're going to forget that, that time of sorrow as you see me again, you know, and also as we have joy in, in, in walking with the Lord. Now, besides seeing Jesus and, and, and preaching and performing miracles you know, in the book of Acts, one thing that characterized the book of Acts is prayer. And we see that throughout you know, the entire book. And I believe this was that life-changing truth that the Lord revealed to them in his resurrection. You see, the Lord gave them something that nobody could take away. And that was the understanding that he was alive forevermore. That was something that nobody could change. You see, they had sorrow for a time. The world rejoiced. Everybody was happy. Finally, we, you know, we got rid of Jesus. Kind of like in the movie, Chronicles of Narnia, you know, everybody was all happy when Aslan was, you know, was being slain on the stone altar, but yet Christ came alive again. And the disciples went from being cowards to being bold. Something happened in them to change them. And it changed them and, and affected the way they related to God. As we, Read throughout that book. It was the understanding that Jesus is alive, and because they understood that Jesus was alive, it drove them to have an intimate relationship with Him through prayer. And so, yeah, they preached, yeah, they performed miracles, and yeah, they had the power of the Spirit. And that's really all people focus about, focus on in the Book of Acts and the Church Age. But sometimes we miss the intimacy, the fact that they were with Jesus when he was resurrected, then he ascended into heaven, they think, and then they said, man, I got to continually have this closeness with the Lord. So always after they preached, they would get back together and pray. When they were alone, like Peter in Acts 10, they spent time with the Lord personally, conversating with the Lord. The Lord revealed a miracle to Peter, or, or excuse me, a vision of Peter. And Peter said, not so Lord, I'm not going not to do that. And the Lord began speaking to Peter more and more about it. And Peter heeded the Lord's word as, you know, as he ministered to Peter's heart. So this will be the church age in which you and I live. It'll be an age characterized by the fact that our Savior is alive and he is our friend. It's kind of a simple truth, but it's an important one, that Jesus right now is alive and he's with us. Where two or three or more are gathered, the Lord is here in this place. It's easy for us to forget that and think of Christianity as a religion, of things that we do and we don't do, You know, and things, you know, things, you know, that each one of us meets on our checklist and rather than remembering, wow, the Lord is actually alive and he's with me and he wants to have a relationship with me just as he, you know, he did with his disciples when he was on earth. He wants that closeness. And when we realize that it will fill our hearts with joy, it's a powerful thing to remember that Jesus is alive and that's what he reveals here to his disciples the fact that they can be have you know they can be friends with a living a living and risen Savior. Now second verses twenty three through twenty eight, we see that since Jesus is alive we can be active in the will of God. And in that day you'll ask me nothing. Most assured I say to you, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until you until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you'll receive, that your joy may be full. So in that day, probably refers to the church age in which you and I live. Yes, the disciples would spend 40 days with Jesus after his resurrection, and then he would ascend into heaven. But soon after that, the Holy Spirit would fall on believers, and the church age would begin. The Lord here says, You and I have a unique opportunity in this church age of going straight to the Father in the name of Jesus. And this was really a change from the Old Testament. Yes, believers did pray in the Old Testament. I mean, read the book of Psalms. They prayed. But there was something different about their relationship with the Lord than ours. They were required to bring sacrifice to atone or cover sin. Because of sacrifice, there was a need for a priest. And because there was priests in a temple, there was a veil. And that veil separated the priest from the presence of God. But soon Jesus would go away. They would sorrow for a time, but joy would come because that veil would be ripped from top to bottom. And it would symbolize that the access to God's throne is made open to all. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so Jesus reminds you and I that you and I can go directly to God the Father in his name. We can go directly to him he said, up until this time, they had prayed nothing in his name, but they would ask the father in his name and he would give it. So the Lord says, Hey, seek me, ask and receive. Now the Lord here is not giving us a blank check for, you know, whatever we want, by the way, you know, if you go down to that Lexus dealership, or whatever, and in the name of Jesus, and you know, I can drive it away, it's not going to be very effective because James later wrote in James 4, 2-3, he says, you have not because you ask not. And, and you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And then John would later write that if we ask anything according to the will of God, he hears us. And so, yes, the Lord does want to answer our prayers. He is a good father and whose desire is to give to his children good things. But the Lord is going to give us those things that are beneficial to us and also his work. But that's not to change the fact that, you know, we're not to still seek the father and ask. I mean, the Lord says, ask, come in my name and and see what the father will do. Ask and you receive that your joy may be full. So the father wants to answer prayers. He wants to do good things that he may give us joy and do a great work in this world. You and I, we have a a way to work in the will of God, to, to be active in the will of God. And that is through prayer. I mean, this is something else that's kind of pushed aside. Sometimes we think, okay, we have to do, and we have to do, and we have to do. And then we kind of forget, okay, well, we probably should pray. Often we, we do first before pray, and the Lord says, no, seek me. Ask in my name and see what the Father will do. So we're to seek the Lord and, 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 and pray that, that he'll do great things. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language, But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Jesus often spoke in parables. We have a parable here in this passage. But he's saying that the time is coming after his resurrection that he would not speak to them in these parables, but he would speak plainly. And we see this in Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. And then as the Lord would inspire scripture, it would become very clear on what the Lord wanted to communicate, and also what he was going to do in the future. And that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came forth from God. So since Jesus died on the cross for us, there is no disconnect between the Father and the believer. Jesus says, hey, I'm not your operator, you don't call me and then say, okay, hold on, please hold. I'm going to go talk to the father and then I'll get back to you when I have a chance. You know, you had that kind of waiting music or whatever. No, the Lord says you can go straight to the father in my name. And it's not because we're so great or because we deserve it, but it's all based on God's grace. It's because of our faith, because you have loved me and believed that I came forth from God. That's our basis from, you know, to go to the father in boldness because we love Jesus and because we have faith in him. Believe that I came forth from God refers to who he is and the work that he would do on the cross for our sins. Now, don't you think it would be crazy if Peter, who the Catholic Church believes is the first pope, would have spoken up and says, but Lord, wait a second. You guys have to pray to Mary and also pray to all the saints because you, do, you can't go straight to the Father. No way, that's, that's not right. You have to pray to the saints and then pray to Mary, and then Mary is going to go and talk to the Father and Jesus for you since. And no, and no, well, I, actually, no, she talked to Jesus, and Jesus talked to the Father. No, that's, not what the, that's not what Jesus says at all. He says, no, you go straight to the Father in my name. So there's no, there's no basis for that. We're children of God through faith. And just as my children can come, I can be you know, working on my study, I can be you know, doing an important thing, and my kids can come straight to me. Dad, I need a fruit snack or you know, kind of thing, you know? Well, no, it's too late. Go to bed. So sometimes fathers have to say no, right? But, you know, but Jesus wants us to have that relationship with the father. We can come to him in any time for any reason. And the Lord will do ultimately what is good for us and also for his kingdom. Verse 28, I came forth from the father and, um, and I've come into the world. And again, I leave the world and go to the father. So it's a clear truth. Jesus was God, the son. He existed with the father from all eternity. And now he has ascended into heaven and he sits with the father for all eternity. Now, third in verses 29 through 33, we see that since Jesus is alive, we can have victory over the world. His disciples said to him, see, now you're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? (laughs) And so, you know, so here Jesus reminds the disciples that he was going to go away and, you know, and who he was. And the disciples said, Finally, Lord, you're speaking plainly to us. And Jesus says, Do you now believe? After all the miracles that he's done, after all the things that he has taught them, are they now finally starting to catch on? Verse 32 Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you'll be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. So in light of the disciples' statement that, hey, Lord, yeah, we now finally believe that you know all things, Jesus told them about their coming, um, you know, forsaking him. They would soon forsake him, and that was predicted in Scripture in Zechariah thirteen seven, and And the Lord was encouraged by this. He, he knew that scripture had to be fulfilled, so it didn't, you know, this wouldn't shake him, the fact that the disciples would flee. Also, something else that encouraged the Lord in going to the cross was the fact that the Father would be with him. He would not leave him alone, nor would the Father forsake him. As Jesus went to the cross, he knew that the Father would not leave him alone. Now, it's sad that when you read most commentaries, Right after this passage, they go on to say, but the father did forsake Jesus on the cross. And, and it totally contradicts here what Jesus is saying. He's said, the father will not leave me alone. Everybody's going to forsake me. I'm going to go to the cross, but the father is not going to leave me alone. What about Psalm 22? Where Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, as most of you know, chapters and verses weren't added to the Bible until the 12th and the 15th century. And the way the rabbis would refer to scripture in that day was they would call the first verse and people would often have the passage memorized in their head or if they had scrolls, they would turn there as Jesus did in the, the synagogue. As he opened up the scroll of Isaiah and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, you shall, you know, he has anointed me. And everybody knew, yeah, he's reading from the book of Isaiah. You know, and, and they knew exactly where he was reading from. So as Jesus went to the cross, he was declaring from the cross exactly what was going on. The fact that everybody was around him, mocking him. The fact that he was being persecuted and and slandered. And then the Lord goes on in verse 23 and 24 and says this of Psalm 22 in that same passage. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. heard. Often people think well, the father's not going to hear his prayer when he's on the cross. And Jesus says, I'm on the cross and the father has not turned his face from me, but I cried out to him and he heard me. The father would not leave Jesus alone. Yes, the father did make Jesus a ransom, a judicial, you know, sacrifice for our sin. He was a penal substitution, the substitutionary atonement on the, on the cross. He died in our place, but yet through it all, through his sacrifice, the father was still with him. And he loved him and, and he was, was, was with him through the whole thing. In the same way, you and I, regardless of the hardest time that we might find ourselves in in life, the Father is going to continue to be with us. He will not forsake us. Paul would find this out later on. As he wrote in his last letter, he says, hey guys, all have forsaken me. Even my closest friends who are with me, people who walked with me and served the Lord with me, they're all gone. It's just me. But you know what? The Lord stood with me. Paul found this truth out, and the same will be true for you and I. And that will give us joy as we operate in the will of God, right? We're going to walk in the will of God. The Lord is going to use us in his will as, as we pray and, and preach the gospel, but hard times will come. But even through those hard times, the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. He'll continue to give us his joy as we walk with him. He'll give us victory over the world. Verse 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So yeah, the disciples would be scared, they would scatter, but you know what, they would come back to the Lord and they would remember these truths that the Lord spoke to them. They would remember, hey, I've spoken you know, these exact truths to you that in time to come you can have peace knowing that the Lord prepared the way and he knew exactly what was going on. You and I will have tribulation in this world. It's not always going to be a bed of roses as, as we walk with the Lord. Now, he's not saying great tribulation, but he's saying tribulation. The world is referring to the world system, which is under the sway of Satan. A lot of people won't like our testimony. They'll call us Jesus freaks, right? But in that time, we can be of good cheer because the Lord has overcome the world and we're in Jesus. 1 John 5, 4-5 says for whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So John writing that later on in his life as an older man. Now walk with the Lord through many trials and, and troubles says, Hey guys, just as the Lord said on the last night, he's given us victory over the world. Later, John would be boiled in a pot of oil as they tried to kill him because of his testimony. The Lord was with him, you know, and the Lord would give him victory over it. Then later he'd be exiled to the island of Patmos to work in salt mines as an old man. But yet, you know what? The Lord had given victory over the world. And John died a man preaching love, you know, and and preaching the gospel. And he left a legacy for all, all generations. How about you and I? Yes, troubled times will come. But you and I can have joy, regardless of what the world throws at us. We can have joy because we don't serve a cold, dead religion, but we serve a living Savior who's with us forevermore. The Lord is our friend. He has given us the ability to be active in the will of God through prayer, and he's given us victory over the world. Amen?